when your financial issues become our financial issues. Welcome to Common Sense on the Prairie, a podcast dedicated to helping you demystify the sometimes complex topic of money. I'm Adam Cox, head of wealth management for the First National Bank in Sioux Falls. We're a community bank based out of South Dakota. In this podcast, we share expert insights from around the country and stories from our local community to arm you with the tools you need to make better financial decisions. Because the truth is, the more we talk about this stuff, the better off we're all going to be. Welcome to another Howie Money episode on the Common Sense in the Prairie podcast. Today, I'm talking with Douglas and Heather Bonaparte. Douglas is the president and founder of Bonafide Wealth in New York City. He sits on the CNBC Financial Advisor Council and is a CFP board ambassador for New York. He's also kind of funny on Twitter and Instagram and definitely worth a follow. Heather is a writer and recovering corporate attorney who now runs business legal affairs for the firm. You can find her on Instagram or through her newsletter, Our Tiny Rebellions, which searches for meaning in our little wins and losses. Together, they wrote their first book about millennials and money while on parental leave with their oldest daughter. Seven years later, they're working on their second book about navigating the power struggles over money in relationships. In the meantime, you can subscribe to their newsletter, The Joint Account. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Douglas and Heather. Douglas and Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, uh-huh. super excited. Okay, let's start this conversation where we start all of our conversations with a couple. I'd love to hear more about your background with money. Heather, why don't you start us off? I grew up, I'm an only child and grandchild on both sides of my family. So I have a lot of cousins, but not a lot of immediate family. And I think that that's relevant. Uh, My parents got divorced when I turned 13. And I continued to live with my mom, uh, the two of us, you know, until I went to college and, and kind of, I struggle to say, especially because of the work that Douglas and I are doing now, I struggle to say something like money was tight because I think that that's not a fair thing for me to say, knowing that I grew up ultimately having almost everything I needed, but money felt tight. Right. And I think we're learning a lot about the subjectivities around people's thought processes and value systems around money. I became a bit of a of a pawn in a financial dispute Hmm. between my parents uh, Hmm. in in the formative years of my life. And it directly impacted my perception of money. Sure. I I think that that is a good backdrop for my motivations professionally and kind of like how I came into my adult life having somewhat of a misguided approach to money. That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Douglas, how about you? Different experience, to say the least. Um, I grew up in an upper middle class family in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, it's a town that's known for its affluence, um, a retirement capital of the world. So there's a lot of uh, retiree money down there. And to this day, now a lot of uh, new money, uh, but a lot of old money, basically. Um, and I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My, my mom was a teacher for her whole career, but my father and his father always ran businesses. They always either worked for themselves or, you know, built something of their own. Um, and that, you know, that that flowed through to both my brother. I have one older brother and and myself. We we were always building businesses too. Um yeah. Move it and my shake brother. it. Yeah. Yeah. Motorbikes were always moving and shaking. Yeah. My, my grandfather, specifically uh, Shepard, uh, was definitely, you know, a mover and shaker and always involving himself in, in whatever was, you know, the latest trend. He was the only grandpa I knew that was pretty proficient with a computer in the 90s. Oh, wow. Right? So, yeah, that that went on to be an edge that my brother and I would use to our advantage for some time and that we had a computer repair business throughout all of our middle school and high school years. Um, so we were cleaning up on the weekends. It was pretty sweet and easy money. Um, and he still fixes our computers today. <laughs> and I'm still <laughs> fixing everyone's uh, computer today. But that, I guess, upbringing um, is responsible for almost every approach I've ever taken to a job. I've, I've never really worked in corporate America, except for a one-year stint at Blockbuster in high school. Um, and look look what happened to them. Yeah, you're, um, you're the reason. Yeah. I'm the reason. Yeah. 
my friend my friends took a lot of candy out of the front you know i'm just, I'm just saying um but that that would flow through to how i would ultimately you know build a business of my own and, and have a career um i really didn't know any other way to do it than you know pursue that more entrepreneurial path um i had a good childhood money you know we earned you know, if we wanted something, we explained why we wanted it and we did what we needed to do to earn it. And then at some point we just, my brother and I were working, you know, our own repair business and we, whatever we wanted, we, we bought ourselves. It was, it was our money. And, uh, we had some, I, I had great weekends, you know, I could fill up the car with gas. I could go to the movies. I could do whatever I wanted to do with my friends and, and not have to ask for a dollar. Oh. See, and that's so interesting. And I'm only going to chime in on that for one second, because Please. just to further illustrate the difference between Doug's childhood and mine. I had to ask, and the ask often didn't immediately result in receiving. The ask usually resulted in some sort of like continued, like prolonged and protracted negotiation and discussion mm. between my parents and like who would do it, like who would get it for yeah. me at the end of the day, right? And it became, yeah. And and, and, I, and this definitely like carried over into a time when Doug and I met. Yeah. Heather, I, I had no one involving themselves. And you'll see, we talk all the time about how, you know, that that also wasn't great, but I had no one on either parent. Like, oh, they make their own money. They'll, they'll be fine on their own. Yeah. But, you know, they just assumed we could handle it, you know, from 17 16 earlier into adulthood and uh, we were still kids we actually still needed guardrails and advice and stuff like that which may or may not have been there and what you'll see in our story is how like the script gets flipped a little bit so all right so, so many follow-up questions with this but um so douglas did you guys talk about money or did you talk about building businesses and just was the topic brought up a lot or were you guys just kind of free ranging it as kids yeah. or in my yeah, relationship? Yeah, as kids. Oh, yeah. Um, it all hinges, I really think, on early indoctrination to technology and computers. We were we were one of those computer households. You know, there's that Bill Gates uh, story of how he was, you know, had the one classroom in all of California that had access to a computer and obviously carved the pathway. I'm no Bill Gates by any stretch of the imagination here, but having access and and an early experience with computers led itself to, I just want, first of all, I just wanted to play the video games. So I got to <laughs> give my brother a lot of credit uh, for really tinkering with them. I would build them. I love the hardware side. My brother was equal parts hardware and software, but we both loved fixing stuff and building stuff, not just businesses. So um, we, I give him credit. He started that, you know, it was $5 an hour. My mom would drive him around to, you know, the neighbors or other developments to go fix a computer. And he he taught me up and, you know, handed it off to me when he went to school. But I'll connect that dot for you a little bit because you were, and I've known Doug a very long time. We've met when we were 18. So I've got some early, early intel on Doug <laughs> too. I can connect that dot from your, your early love of technology. Like you were the first person I know who is using spreadsheets to track your finances. You were one of the first, at least out of people that we knew. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> he did use that, that his his uh, his his technology and his skill uh, to handle his money better. My my brother, I, who I give a ton of credit to, only a couple years older than me, but you know him indoctrinating me in, into computers and technology, and despite my want to get entertainment value out of it, that that turned into eBay, yeah, and being able to sell. I mean, I think the you know, the, the, the hustler mentality, you know, was in all of us, but I, I took it, I took it to little niches and pockets. Like I identified that Japanese animation was coming over to America in, in one great big wave. And I was able to get my hands on, you know, certain series and, and be able to, you know, I mean, here I am admitting bootlegging <laughs> anime on eBay when I was in middle school. Such and a high nerd. School. Hustler. Yeah. He's a I mean, hustler. That, yeah. that was the hustle yeah. versus your kids in Brooklyn selling fireworks, <laughs> yes. you know, illegally on the street corner. Like, you know, the cops are like, oh, let them sell yeah. their bottle rockets, right? Oh, that's funny. Heather, going back to you, I'm curious, who did you ask for when you needed money? Who did you ask? Well, did I, you ask mom or dad? Well, I lived with, I lived with my mom. Okay. My mom did not work at the time when my parents got divorced. My mom ended up go needing to go back to work and and re restarted her career after my parents got divorced. But um, my dad was financially responsible 
for both of us at that time, but he was not living with us. So who I asked, I mean, she knew what I needed, but a lot of times it was a, when you see your dad every other week, which was when I saw him, you know, you're with them for an hour, two hours, like make sure that you get whatever you need during that time. And I think that that's kind of like where my, my uh, perception of money, like really got messed up because, you know, I didn't see my dad very often for a couple years there. And, um, I felt like I had to use that time to always be like asking for something and it felt disingenuous to me. It wasn't how I wanted to spend our time. And it almost felt like it was turning our time together into like a business meeting yeah, before right. I even really knew what that was. And um, I still, to this day, hate asking for favors. I hate asking for things. Doug knows how how like deeply, deeply this is ingrained. Like this issue that I have is ingrained and comes back from my childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Like I still can't follow through with my parents on certain things because I'm so like proud that I don't want to ever be put in that position again to ever have to ask for something that uh, I'm stubborn about it. Yeah. Mm. That's good stuff. So you guys were 18 when you met. Yep. We met freshman year of college. There you go. (laughs) When did you start dating? Straight out the gate. Yeah. <laughs> freshman year of college. Freshman year of college. But I would say like college years, they're not real years, no. right? No, it's, no, It's la la land. Yeah. It's, it's not adult. You're not an adult. You're playing one on TV. Like, yeah. let's be real here. So we had a ton of fun. We had all of, all of our friends were mutual friends. Like it was just a fantasy land and it was the best. But, um, you know, we both knew Afterwards, there was going to be like a crossroad in our life, um, just based on, you know, Doug was planning to go. Yeah, well, like Doug was planning to go back to South Florida and work for his father at his father's firm. And I was planning to go off to law school at, you know, whichever law school I got into that I ultimately decided to go to, which ended up being one in New York City. Yeah. And we kind of didn't know like where real life would, would take us. I mean, we loved each other. Um, but we did not know where life would take us. Yeah. Um, so Heather, Heather's been always more of the, uh, definitely the more focused of the two of us. Um, her short-term planning is absolutely remarkable. Her long-term planning is is good as well. I'm ambitious to a fault. Like I, I had a plan. His plan was like, it'll all I didn't, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really know. And I just felt in my heart, she's like, how are we going to get back together? Like, where are we going to be? I'm like, I don't know, but it's going to happen and we'll figure it out. In the meantime, you got to go to the best school. You know, my attitude was you got to go to the best school you got into because that will provide you uh, with the most opportunity. And I've always classically been, yeah, at least throughout all of college, like pretty, pretty lost when it came to what I really wanted for myself. And I think my father picked up on that and was like, all right, let's give him a path. And I was like, all right, we'll walk down this one. Doesn't seem all that bad. It seems pretty, pretty comfortable and speaks to my, it was comfortable because it spoke to my skills. And there were probably many other jobs and careers that could do that as well. But I, I just really wasn't putting in the kind of thought that Heather needed to put in because I maybe had more of a support system and foundation behind me from yep. my childhood. I always thought things would be all right. And Heather's like, it's not going to be all right. <laughs> it never was. I got to yeah. carve this out. Yeah. And that, and that is exactly, that is exactly like the schism in our, in our lives that, that we were like living through as we approached our adult life after college. I still like, no matter how much we loved each other and had an amazing time together in college, like I'm still an only child product of divorce who is, has built in cynicism around the ability of something to just work out. Like I, I deeply believe in, in like in planning and being responsible in, um, putting myself first at all costs. I didn't know how, I, I didn't know how to be any other way because I think that I like, I was so, so, obsessed with this idea of finding freedom for myself yeah. from the life that I, you know, like the relationship and the and the life that I kind of had experienced before I went to college that um I didn't know where Doug would fit into that. Hmm. 
I didn't, and I, I've never asked the question, but I'm thinking it now is, you know, what, what would have happened had I said like, Hey, I'm moving to New York too. Uh, you know, I'll find a job up there, you know, based on the training I received. I mean, we don't need to spend much time on it, but I'll be thinking about that question for a little bit, you know, after today's conversation. Would would it have worked out any differently? I mean, we struggled for a little bit, okay. um, even, you know, before and after I eventually did move up. What would have happened? You know, I think this is just more out of curiosity, certainly not regret or anything, but what would have happened had I said, yep, going up there too, and uh, we'll give, you will go to law school, I'll work, and we'll figure it out. I could paint a disaster, I could paint a, you know, a, a, a fantasy story that works out, a fair, excuse me, a fairy tale um, that works out well in the end. I, I don't know. This is a fairy tale, though. It's this, this is what we've got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is <laughs> not quite a here. nightmare. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's real life. Yeah. It's the grind. Yeah, it's the it's grind. Real. So- the two of you obviously did work it out. You're married. Um, can you, you have very different money backgrounds, like very different experiences and maybe very different motivations. I'd like to know what it was like when the two of you got serious about being together and staying together and what that meant financially. And how did, like, how did that go? Like, we could probably spend three days on this. I get it. But like, how, how did you merge the two? of those things together. I'll give um, just a little bit of backdrop on that and then I'll let Doug jump in on this. Um, I thought that I was doing the responsible thing by going to law school. Back to this whole thing of like, I need to make as much money as possible. That needs to be my focus in life. I'm going to go to law school. That was in 2007. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I went to a very expensive law school. I was shown a million uh, salary charts of how much money I would make coming out of law school. And then it didn't happen because it was, you know, a recession, um, the greatest, the great recession. Not, yeah. Not just any, <laughs> not just any recession. Don't call it any recession. Um, and I graduated underemployed with more than $200,000 in student loan debt. So our money background, um, I would say to some extent was like, even my money background was even like more disrupted by the recession because like, I really believed in my, like, in my soul that I was doing the responsible thing, even, even taking out that much student loan debt to go to law school. Like I really believed it was a calculated risk and that I was doing, um, something responsible to invest in myself for my career. And so when that wasn't the way that things were panning out when I graduated and I was, again, I was lucky to have a job at all. Most of my class was unemployed. I was employed because I was at the top of my class, but it was an under, it was a way underpaid job. I could barely, I was making negative money if I was paying back my loans. Like, I mean, it was very scary. And I just fell into a complete hole. Hmm. Mentally, uh, financially, I just felt completely, completely out of control. So if the recession had not happened, I don't know what how the mer the merge would have gone very differently. Yeah. In terms of our our financial lives. But because I was in such a bad place and I was so disempowered and I was so lost and so like I was never I never really like I'm not a victim mentality type of person. Um but I just saw no way out, which is a very scary thing to feel in your 20s to really feel like you're there's no way out. Like hopeless is a scary thing to feel yeah. in your twenties. Um, and Doug kind of like, not to give him like the, like the male savior <laughs> finger, but Doug kind of saved <laughs> yes. me. Yeah. And I don't just mean like, I don't mean financially because like you'll, you can hear a little more about no, that. What, what did I have to offer? Yeah. <laughs> you, had to, you had to offer financial knowledge that I didn't have yeah. and, sure. and a way to, and a way to really understand how to wrap my hands around what was actually in front of me and not just be so afraid by a number and by my bank account that I couldn't function. Like you were like, right. no, like you Get are rid of the paralysis. You never lost control. You are in control. And here's what we have to do. And here's what that'll look like to like set ourselves up to start working on it. So we merged it. We like, like I, I needed the help and he was there to help. I also had and still have, you know, unfortunately for Heather, you know, she'll say, I'm like, wow, you're, I'll say to her, like, you're being pessimistic. And she'll say something like, no, I'm being realistic. And mm. 
her and I will disagree on that because I'm the other way, right? I'm rose-colored glasses, she would say all the time. And I would say, no, I'm being realistic. You're being overly, and she would say, you're being overly optimistic. Sure. And you'll see this constant extreme ends of the spectrum in our lives really be one of the things that makes it work, whether that's an opposite to tract type of thing or just we're getting two completely different views and can tolerate each other enough to find common well, our, ground. Our, our outlooks definitely uh, complement one another yeah. and balance out. I mean, balance is really the key, right? So that both people's perceptions and outlooks and sentiments so, are recognized. Yeah, I'll put That's but, what you want. But there's still an extreme take here that coming out of my camp, it is not necessarily a moderate take to walk away from your family business with four boxes shipped to a random roommate's apartment, you know, in New York City that you met on Craigslist to give it a go. Well, that's what he did. Wait, just just because he hasn't said that yet. (laughs) Doug eventually declared his love for me and said, I love you. I'm coming to New York City. Yeah. Well. Your big gesture. Yeah, that, that's a very. There's a little more nuance to it, but yeah, you know, it was a lot. <laughs> it was over so his head. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a love story at the end of the day, you know, um, among many others. But I, I had, I burned my boats right and moved to New York City, walking away from quite a bit with with debt. Um, I had to get rid of my car lease and and I owed CarMax some money, uh, in turn, owing my mom money who covered that for me. And Mm. I was reimbursing her month to month. I had student loans from undergrad. Uh, All I had really was a salary uh, to be a financial advisor and work in some other advisor's practice. And this was October 2008. So Heather and I do share a very interesting uh, recession story in terms of how it has shaped our careers. and. I would argue our lives. Um, I mean, I moved up with no money, you know, and the hope. I I moved up with negative money, four boxes, a duffel and- bag, and a dream. Yeah, it was. It, it's it's <laughs> cliche, right? I went to Sleepy's on Fifth to get a zero percent, you know, credit card to buy my mattress, which was six hundred bucks. Why I even. Took out the card, we don't know. But, you know, I needed a place to sleep, something to sleep on in this this room in Murray Hill. Um, so my story obviously has a lot of extreme components to it before it would just constantly get ironed out. But the point was I moved up wide-eyed, you know, with that with that sparkle of a dream. Heather was already a downtrodden legal student, you know, in an abysmal you know, job environment and is pondering how the hell she's going to pay back, you know, like, welcome to hell. She's like, I'm screwed. And yeah. I'm like, you're not, you're not, you know, let's, let's, you know, she's like, what do you have other than knowledge? I'm like, I don't have any money here, but I can chart a course that will get us where we need to go. It's just make 10 times what we're currently making. Yeah. No, it was, it was, how do we, how do we do that? You but this was a couple years after he moved up. I mean, like we didn't we we moved in together a couple of years later when we you know knew we were very we were giving it a go for the long run and and so at at the beginning we both kind of just triaged it for a couple of years. But then when we moved in together was when we really started. That's when we really that's when you know advisor skills kicked in in a very formal setting to bust out spreadsheets and cash positions and what cash flow would look like. I would have to show her what growth in my business would look like under many different scenarios. I'd have to show her, you know, where she could take her skill set as the economy started to recover and we would need to navigate this brick by brick, step by step. Um and we would need to, you know, ultimately get her emotions controlled around the student loan debt for years and a very long time after that, uh, the amount of guilt and shame that Heather would put on herself for making a decision that she thought was right and would free her only to find out that she now has a different master, a, f- a different financial master, yeah. right? In the, in the form shame of- Shame is the- Yeah, in, in the form shame of- Shame is the right word. Loans. Um, we'll carry the story forward and get to the point of how we do- take control of that. Thank you, low interest rate phenomenon. But also thank you to building strong credits, to working hard and building up income so you could approach an institution and say, hey, how can we better 
our situation, which doesn't look awesome and looked horrible, at least to us or to Heather, but arguably didn't look great when we just started out, you know, 2010 moved in together. Yeah. Um, I've officially torn up all my other questions because we have so much in common. I came out of school in 2008 in the fall and had all those same feelings. I also had more than $200,000 in student loan debt. I also had an incredible amount of guilt and uh, all the things you're talking about have really hit home for me. So Heather, I'll ask you, how did it feel when your problems, your financial problems became our financial problems? I don't remember where we were, like the specific, you know, memory of this, but like there was a moment where Doug Doug basically said to me, well, like, this isn't just your problem. This is our problem now. Like, I, like, I, not that, like, not I'm going to pay off your debt and like, whatever. I mean, I was earning more money at, you know, at, at the, in the early stages of our career, but it wasn't about that. It was about the notion of like, this is our, this is our mountain to climb together. And, um, you will not ever be shamed by me for this. You will only be empowered and we will, we will attack it together. That's what a team does. That's what a marriage is all about. And like the fact that he has always approached it like that. I mean, to me, especially like this again, goes back to these issues. Like when you're a product of divorce and you're an only child and somebody says to you, like, I'm not going to not, there is no greater, um, testament to Doug's commitment to me than him like literally almost more than than him proposing to me was him offering to to tackle the student loan debt to me like yeah. that is how commingled love and money were to me at that point in my life so that was like there was no greater there was no greater like offering he could ever give me than just the trust like the trust that i gained back in his willingness to to tackle this with me mm. um told me everything i needed to know about him and our relationship and 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 how how successful we'd be together as as in a partnership i i figured the only real way to get heather to move beyond a lot of the financial baggage that was created not just from law school which was the current one but a hope of addressing the real trauma of childhood and you've heard it from her around divorce you know you got to create fairness. Heather's all about equity, and she'll make that very clear um, how important that is to her. So, you know, you got to follow suit with that. And I figured I can actually tell you when the moment was. I was like, hey, we, we need to do this. The first one was, you know, we needed to, we had a child and we wouldn't wanted to buy a home. And that was proving to be threading a needle in yeah. 2016. How, you know, and I think one of Heather's biggest fears was, oh my God, we took on all this debt. By the way, I would go to business school and take out another hundred twenty thousand dollars in student <laughs> loans on top of that. So there's more. There's more to the debt story than yeah. just Heather. Yeah, yeah, go us. <laughs> um, but in the uh, the consistent, you know, proving that we come from different sides of this. If Heather's a cautionary tale, I'm showing you how to do leverage right. I mean, I don't regret for a second going to business school. And I turned that into a moneymaker, you know, before I even had graduated. I was like, all right, that went according to plan. Like that was thought out because I knew I could not do that. I couldn't just go on a whim and double down on some of the mistakes. Heather didn't go to law school on a whim. She went there with purpose. Should you imagine if I did that on a whim, took out this debt and didn't have a plan? I mean, it would be like, get away from me. Like you did the exact opposite of what I needed to feel good about the decision that I had made. So here we are. I remember um, being able to refinance my graduate loan debt, you know, at a very attractive rate uh, from a bank that no longer exists today, <laughs> probably for the very reasons of giving that loan. <laughs> Rest in peace, First Republic yeah. Bank. Oh. You were a real one. Love them. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> love them. Truly love them. Shame to see them go. Yeah. Um, part of the part of the problem. Yep. Um, no, it was their problem. <laughs> I was the benefactor. Um, <laughs> I had refinanced to something that you know was less than less than half of what the original rate was. I mean, it was a game changer. It yeah. really was. It's from the terms of the loan, and we were trying to buy a house, and we did. Here it is. Um, 
And we were very hesitant to do the same deal for Heather's loans. I was the small, I was one half of her amount. She was more than double um, the loan pile. And I said, look, you know, those income-based repayment plans and, you know, crutches that the government allows you to have access to despite paying a much higher rate, we need that. We need that crutch, right? We're not ready to let go and walk on our own here. Um, but as we gained stability and things continued to get better and better and the business grew and Heather's career grew even post house purchase, which we figured out, um, then came the no brainer move to be like, we, we are together. Not only are we married, but we have a child. We share a home. The final step here to really prove that this is forever and this is no joke whatsoever is we got to now make the entire debt load won. Mm. And it I didn't need a co-signer to do mine. They wouldn't let Heather refinance her. So what Heather's talking about when she means Doug taking it on, I said, I don't care if I have to co-sign or not. Like the deal is great. Look what it does psychologically for us. And but our discussions of that happened many years before too. Like mm. you in sentiment were always Yeah, that was on the table I mean, for a while before it actually happened. Yeah. She trusted me to understand where we were financially and what risk tolerance we had around because yeah, she, look, she's a lawyer. She wasn't handling the day-to-day affairs or some of the more macro business concepts of where I was in my business. Can could we handle, you know, she would say, hey, if we if I lose my best client and we hit a recession, you know, all at once, you know, I told her like it 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 scares me. Yeah. Like that would worry the pants off of me. And she's like, well, what do we do? I'm like, well, we either accept the risk or go live with your mom. I mean, there's really that, no option here. We accept. Are you okay with accepting the risk? And she's but like, that's what, but, but the one thing I'll say is I think what makes our situation unique, but also, also what has made us so successful up to this point in, in, in our relationship, I mean, is that we've had all these like undulating dynamics at play, both financial, right? Like we each had this, like our own individual load, like student loan debt. We've got careers that were wildly dynamic and different, right? Like yeah. the way that Doug grew his career, um, starting out as, as an employee of another advisor and kind of going out on his own and building his own business while I held down a corporate law job to kind of create that stability, in our relationship. And each one of these things, the financial, the professional, the emotional, like they were all kind of like, we were always kind of recalibrating them so that we both felt comfortable. We moved we still, the ball. We still are. Collectively. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We still even more, even more so. And, and, but we've always just been not only conscious of each other, but like we've considered it all collectively. Yeah. I called it like a, there is a level of collective ambition. Like it was never me in spite of him or him in spite of me. It was like, what is, where is he right now? And can that allow for me to do? Yeah. What What's I the greatest to compliment to what either person is doing at the moment? Yeah. At some time, sometimes that's one person stepping aside or, or limiting themselves from an earning capacity or a fulfillment versus, and we'll talk about that, um, you know, versus it being the other way around, which lends itself to the ebbs and flows of support that we offer uh, one another. What's not being said here enough is you just heard Doug saving, you know, the damsel. No, that ain't it. You know, in my mind, as much as I knew plugging into Heather that way would alleviate pressure, burden, shame and guilt um, and a lot to allow her to sit more comfortably in herself. What you need to understand is what Heather was doing for me for an extremely long period of time, which was allowing me to grow my business. And the flippening of our, if that's <laughs> flippening of our incomes is a direct result of the support that she gave me and would lend itself to a very different dynamic that we've only just in the last few years had to bring our experience in communication and understanding where we are to get to the next thing. So I really want to drive this point home. You know, Bonafide, what Heather's a lawyer, my co-CEO and co-founder, it is displayed nowhere on a card, but I will tell that to anyone because 
the story is not complete without under and of course a parent and mom. Here's my wife working at least three full time jobs, right? The invisible load of motherhood, you know, being a huge. You know, we were growing this business, his business, together at night since we were in our late twenties. Writing yeah. that first book together, so I could build a platform around a specific area of knowledge. You know, the countless number of times of should I make this move? Should we invest our money here? Should I focus on this type of client? And she'll tell you, like, I've been ripped new ones and be like, no, you will not go down that road. This, this is the road. <laughs> and through through that, you know, you got to be strong there because at some point you begin to realize, oh, my goodness, the advice that I've been receiving from my partner here is usually the one that works out very well. How do I keep my ego in check and not crumble you know, before her and realize that, yeah, I might have to listen to things I don't like, but if I execute on them, I might get a better outcome uh, than had I gone with what my thought was. So, you know, you got to give it off. You got to give it up to Heather here uh, for doing all of these things. And I think most notably providing the support and the benefits, the stable earnings, all the headaches she inherited and stuff she had to deal with. Um, being in the workforce, not just as an attorney, but as a woman, these are real things. Um, yeah, it wasn't, are, a, it wasn't a great decade in a, in corporate, in corporate <laughs> yeah, she'll, no. there you go. You heard it, you heard it right there. This yeah. was, uh, and here, and here I am having a blast. Like <laughs> I will tell you, I am having a lot of fun not just currently, but over those years, I mean, she's like, oh, great. My, my husband's on TV today. He's on a podcast today. He's being given an award in his industry. And she's like, no, and no, you know what? It's not just, it's not like, oh, I saw a piece of the piece of the limelight too. Like, it's not that it's that like, um, I had just, we had known that this was our dynamic for a while. Um, and, and Doug got to a point where he was a, a, achieving an objective level of success in terms of like objective, but also like his, his own subjective uh, ideas about what he wanted to achieve. Um, but it kind of felt like I wasn't given that same chance. Um, I, I had held down different jobs in the insurance industry, um, in-house uh, legal work. And when I think about like, I was proud and happy, especially with the years of like having young children and everything to kind of like hold down this safe corporate safety net yeah. for Doug to yep. grow his business and to kind of be able to take risks and not worry about, not worrying about aligning with every single prospective client that comes, comes across his way and to really try and grow with intention. And like, I was proud and happy to provide that level of support and comfort that I could for our family during those years. But then COVID hit. Yeah. And then I think that, you know, you start to kind of question, and I know I certainly, I certainly questioned um, during that time, like, what am I really doing here? And uh, when do I get to be emotionally honest about what I want? And, you know, when, 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 when do I get to be the one taking the risk? Um, I felt like it was my turn and it was his turn for a really long time. Yeah. Is that when you two decided to work together? Yep. Yep. Like formally, <laughs> formally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so I spent the majority of, of COVID continuing with my former company. I was in the general counsel's office uh, at an insurance, at a Fortune 100 insurance company. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was great. And I don't, I don't know if I ever would have left. Um, you know, it was a, it was a safe job. It was safe. Um, but they wanted me back in the office four days a week. It was a little abrupt. I didn't want to go back. And I felt like I just saw so much potential. We had, we had spent so much time physically now working side by side for three years that we knew we could make it work. And we had goals and ambitions and dreams for what the next iteration of Doug's, uh, Doug's brand would look like and Doug's mission would look like. And a lot of that involved me. And so when they wanted me back four days a week, we both looked at each other. We're like, this is a, this is like a sign you know, this is one of those moments where it's a, maybe I wouldn't have done it. Maybe if they didn't say that, I, I don't know if I would have ever left because it was, yeah, it was, it was comfortable and it was comfortable for him. Uh, you know, even if I wasn't, 
if I didn't advocate for the fact that it was time, I said, this is, this is it. If this is not it, I don't know. It will never be it. Um, kind of like swing for the fences and take a shot at this. Well, I can also imagine too, that sense of comfort given your career arc and where you started in the great recession. I'm sure it felt pretty good to have a good, stable, comfortable job. Um, Correct. So correct, and yeah. I was proud. And yeah. I was proud of where I worked yeah. myself up to. I mean, it's not like I wasn't proud of my job. I mean, the fact that I've, you know, that I'm in, my, I was in my mid 30s working in the, in a general counsel's office of a huge company. I mean, I'm incredibly proud of that, and I, I don't want to diminish that in any way. But I, I did kind of feel like, um, you know, maybe I'm just inspired by Doug, and I've I've learned a lot from Doug about how, like. I love the way that Doug approaches money and success and entrepreneurship, and and I I I, I wanted a chance too, and and I worried that that time wouldn't come, and I didn't want to wait. Um, if one thing COVID I think taught us, you know, is that you don't want to wait if you don't have to. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know. I needed her, and there's no question of that. Um, as I said a little bit earlier, the advice that I would receive from Heather on any major decision, you know, usually broke out extremely well. So I always say like, Heather's my muse, sadly, and it's okay. I am not hers. And that is <laughs> more than fine. Um, but I didn't, I, what do you, do you expect me to jump in and be like, yeah. no, 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 I did not expect that at all. It's just the fact and I knew at some point, you know, I think something that's interesting that happens to Heather and I quite a bit is our hand gets forced um, into the things that we want to do, because I'm sure if I was left to my own devices, I would persuade Heather to continue holding down a steady job. I mean, the compromise would have been fine. Go find a legal job within a five mile radius of where we live in New Jersey. And I'm sure there would have been plenty of those jobs to find. And I'm sure I could have swindled her into believing she was upgrading her career and doing more support for the family and she wouldn't need to commute and get paid more money. How far the real thing here is like, how far would that go before the same inevitable conclusion would have been had of I need my time to show my worth in what we've built. And I would be lying to myself to think that that moment a year ago now or a little more than a year ago now wasn't that that thing. And what I needed to do and what I've been focusing so hard on, and Heather will pat me on the back for this, is getting comfortable with a lot of things that seemed horridly and wretchedly uncomfortable to me then yep. and probably even a little bit today, if I'm being honest. But this is the first time now in having a year under our belt where due to that work, teamwork together, but I'll say a lot of individual work on myself, um, that there is no doubt in my mind that what we're doing now, I, I just in maybe the last months, dare I say, see it, mm. you know, see a better, more clearer picture of what we were talking about, because I think seeing and doing, talking and doing are very, very different things. And now we're deeply, deeply into the doing part of the things that we said we're going to do. And the fear of taking that leap. And, yeah. yeah, the fear and the anxiety. The anxiety is always there. Heather Moore, you know, Heather's like, we got to get it done now. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You can't apply court time my, deadlines in your my career. My sense of urgency from corporate America does not translate to Douglas. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm doing this 19 years. I won't year, let up. Yeah. You know, a decade of, of calling shots in your schedule. Yeah. I would argue it was more convenient in her corporate job where it's like, here's the deadlines to the cases and you can't mess around with it. You got to yep. answer the court. It's like it was you, a tough transition for me. Yeah, you would think it would have been like the ticker tape parade. It was. It was not. Yeah, like a relief. I control my time yeah. now, and yeah. it's like real, a real struggle for her to do that. A lot of frustration around that. Why are you waiting till the day of for this? I'm like, because that's the lowest thing on the priority. I, I needed to do A, B, and C. I don't C. think it's just that. I think that actually, and this is relevant. I think that um, when I left, I think that we exposed the remaining baggage of my issues around money. 
Mm. when I left the job, which I was not expecting. Mm. I thought that leaving was like leaving corporate America to work with Doug would be like the crown jewel, like the like the big achievement. Like the big achievement was that, and that like it was all gravy after that. Like no, the minute I left, it, it just brought back so much insecurity around money. And I realized that I completely still commingled my self-worth with how much money I earned. Mm. And so when I gave up my corporate salary, I found it really, really, really difficult to feel like I was adding value because my idea of value was directly tied to money yeah. like and, and how much I earned. And I felt I mean, and that manifested in a million different ways over the course of the last year. And I think only now, it's so crazy. Like we started interviewing couples for our book just recently. Uh, we just started diving into our couples interviews. And I feel like only through these conversations am I even willing to admit what a struggle I had over yeah. the last year. And I'm like, damn, I am so guilty of all of that. Yeah. Well, let's let's go there. I want to hear about the the book project you have. Obviously, we have a big passion on our show about talking to couples about money. It's a conversation that's long overdue. Uh, we'll talk about so many things in society now um, without even question, but we still don't talk about money and relationships and the power dynamics and the struggle. So let's let's end with this. Like, I want to know why you why you start this project and what are you learning. Um, about yourselves and, and what do you hope other people to get out of this book? I'll start. You go. You can start. It's interesting that years and years ago after we wrote our first book, which was definitely more of a platform builder and business card for me, we had no social media platforms worth talking about and you know maybe some media exposure, but you know it takes a lot more than that to put forth a extremely successful book by sales, which is a goal of ours is to really you know, put something out there that uh, changes the lives of hopefully hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. That's a very ambitious thing to say, but we're going to put that out into the ether because I think I think we can do it. Yeah. Um, Heather and I are approaching uh, this book from two totally different. Well, our joint efforts are creating um, the same product. Uh, Heather will share with you what her her vision is or her reasons are. Mine stem from, as you could guess, uh, that being a practitioner um, and providing people with tools to communicate their finances with one another. Um, you, Adam, you mentioned it. Like we don't we don't talk about it with our we don't even talk about it with our spouses and where to begin and how to do that, how to enter an uncomfortable territory. Um, as Heather just mentioned in conducting these interviews, um, she's probably getting all the therapy that she needed around her stuff, um, which is probably one of the coolest things that I personally, I think to come out of this, um, I get to, you know, come up with a framework of how people are actually going to be able to improve their lives, improve yeah. their marriages, make sure things like what Heather experienced as a kid don't happen. That's that's my mission uh, on this one. And from a business perspective, um, we've evolved as millennials, right? The narrative and the first mover advantage that I had in building my brand uh, was helping our generation at a time when nobody was willing to help us because 2008 and 2010 shaped us. Yep. And no baby boomer or generation above us really was too you know, interested in helping us chart our course and our path. So the evolution of where we are in our lives, and while this book is not written for millennials, it's written for anyone who wants to discuss money in the context of their relationship, um, this was the logical progression as to where we were heading um, with growing our business and even growing ourselves as, you know, per we're talking about personal growth here as well. Yeah. So I... I approach it from a different angle. And again, what Doug was what Doug was saying before that we both something that's beautiful and I think that is really, you know, the ethos of this book is that you bring to a relationship your own value system and your own money identities that are built off who you are. They're built off your past, they're built off your family dynamic and your 
you know, your, your socioeconomic disposition. Like these are the things that you bring to a relationship and trying to merge them together is very, very difficult. So a lot of people just stop trying and, you know, whether, whether or not money is the most fought about, uh, conflict in a relationship, it's definitely, you know, our research has proven it's the most pervasive, it's the most recurrent, and it poses one of the greatest risks to the long-term health and success of your of your relationship. So, you know, I, I I think that we have to do the work, right? We have to we have to look at this like it's taboo and it's icky and it's hard to discuss. But there's so much to be gained. I mean, so I approach this, which I think wouldn't come as a surprise to you after this whole conversation we've had together from a place of equity. Um, I want women to have a seat at their own dining room table that you know th- that they may not have had. Uh, the, um, Claudia Golden, who just won the Nobel, the Nobel prize for her work on gender pay, uh, gender pay equity, um, in the workforce had said something, and I'm like very loosely paraphrasing about how we will never achieve, um, gender pay equity in the workforce if we don't have couples equity at home. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, really believe that our empowerment and our, and our, kind of like progress forward as a gender is directly linked to our willingness to advocate for ourselves and to be seen at home. Um, so, you know, to me, this is, this book is not just about like prescriptive advice on how to merge a bank account. This is about validating feelings and about people feeling seen and understanding why your spouse comes at something, comes at a money decision from the from the place that they do, listening on both sides. Um, so we're really like, I, I believe we're approaching this in a way that no one has ever approached this before. Um, and that I think, especially for women, I mean, like that's that's my mission, right? Is to bring us to the table and to kind of like move the ball forward here in a really meaningful way. Love that. Um, we could go on for hours. Uh, I hope I hope that you guys will come back when the book is done and tell us, everything you learned about it, because I am just so thankful that you two have put a stake in the ground and said, we're going to have this conversation and we're going to help people have these conversations because no one is equipped to do it. And so from professionally, personally, everything, I want to thank you for doing that. Um, looking forward to the the end product, obviously, but also I'm guessing you guys are going to learn a lot about yourselves and each other and everything else along the way. So um, we'll end there. We've got all of your links uh, in the show can notes. I also, yeah, can please. I also, sorry, plug one more thing. We are always looking for couples to still speak with us for the book. We're, we're continuing on with this. So if there's any listeners who would like to participate, we're very fun via Zoom. It's like being on a double date, I swear. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank, Thank you. Thanks right. for having us. I hope you found this helpful. If you did, please subscribe and share with your family or friends. If you have a topic you want us to cover in future episodes, send us a note through our website. And if you're at the point where you want an expert opinion on your finances, reach out and we'd be happy to start a conversation. And remember, any comments, insights, or strategies discussed on this podcast are intended to be general in nature and therefore may not be suitable for you and your situation, whatever that may be. Before acting on anything we discuss, please consult with your attorney, CPA, and or your financial advisor.